0: out trash officials in Afghanistan said Monday that at least twenty one security forces were killed, and the latest Taliban attacks and the planned prisoner swap with the insurgent group has been delayed yet again. The deadliest violence occurred in uh, the northern kahar the Tukhar province where Taliban fighters assaulted several government outposts. A provincial government spokesman told VOA that the raid killed fourteen Afghan forces and a civilian. Uh, The latest violence comes as a spokesman for the Afghan National Security Council confirmed that a long-awaited prisoner swap process, which was supposed to start on Tuesday, has been delayed. That swap is one of the key provisions in the U.S.-Taliban agreement signed on February 29th, requiring Kabul to release up to 5,000 insurgent prisoners in exchange for 1,000 detainees. I'm Tommy McNeil via Remote.
1: Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butte in Washington. Today is Tuesday, March 31st. And here are some of the stories we are covering. Zimbabwe on Monday began a 21-day lockdown to stop the spread of the coronavirus. In about two months'
2: time, winter will be upon us, creating conditions ideal for more infections. We just need to take decisive measures now against the pandemic.
1: Vice President Emerson Nagagwa of Zimbabwe. South African security struggle to enforce a lockdown in some parts of the country. Mm. Health officials in Sudan are worried as some people escape from quarantine areas. Nigeria's two main cities prepare to go into a lockdown. People in Ghana's major cities are waking to the second day of coronavirus lockdown. Mm. And a contentious confirmation hearing yesterday for the next chair of Liberia's National Elections Commission. Let me submit again that I am a citizen of Liberia. The question of my citizenship has been settled in the Supreme Court opinion that admitted me to Supreme Court bar. And an overcrowded prison population in Cameroon is vulnerable to coronavirus virus infection. Those stories the more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. on Monday began a 21-day lockdown to try to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Healthcare advocates and the business community are generally supportive but have aired concerns that they say the government needs to address. Columbus Mavunga reports from Horari.
2: We are worried that even as our numbers remain low, there is possibility of wider community spread in transmissions. Further, in about two months time, Winter will be upon us, creating conditions ideal for more infections. We thus need to take decisive measures now against the pandemic. That is President Emerson Umunangagwa speaking on state television over the weekend justifying the lockdown aimed at containing the spread of the COVID-19 which began Monday. So far, there are only nine confirmed cases of the virus in Zimbabwe and only one death. But to keep the numbers down, the government is requiring people to stay in their homes for the next three weeks, except when buying food and other essentials. Schools are shut down, as are most businesses. Speaking via WhatsApp, Fortune Nyamande, the chairman of the Zimbabwe Association of Doctors for Human Rights, welcomed the lockdown. However, he said the lockdown needs to be supplemented by increased efforts to detect COVID-19 cases. The lockdown on its own is not a panacea to solving the COVID-19 pandemic. The lockdown needs to be supplemented by additional measures such as increased case detection, increased community surveillance, and also, as you are aware, only less than 200 people have been tested for coronavirus. In Zimbabwe, and these are very low and pathetic figures. So, for us to effectively contain this outbreak during the lockdown, let's test more people. The country's businesses owners will be in a tough spot during the next three weeks, with most deprived of income. Sam Wazai is from the Vendors Initiative for Social and Economic Transformation in Zimbabwe. Via WhatsApp, he explains the vendors' dilemma this lockdown is only in the best interest of this country after all we have to be united to fight this deadly virus uh, but at the same time we also encourage the government to ensure that uh, they put in place support mechanisms to continue to be, so that people are, continue, are able to continue to survive during this lockdown period we expect this to be done as quickly as possible so that uh, people don't uh, die of hunger President Munanga was expected to meet with the business owners Monday to discuss their concerns over loss of revenue during the 21 day lockdown. So far, the government has made no guarantees of financial support. Columbus Mavunga for VOA News Harare. South Africa
1: is in its second week of a 21-day nationwide lockdown to try to slow the spread of COVID-19. Science has shown that the best way to do this is to limit contact between humans as much as possible. The government is allowing certain services it deems to be essential, such as food stores, to remain open. But large gatherings of people are banned and citizens are being urged to remain indoors. However, in some areas, security forces are struggling to enforce the regulations. Darren Taylor reports from Johannesburg. I have confidence in the people of South Africa that
2: they are going to abide by the restrictions that we have placed on their lives in order to save their lives.
3: President Cyril Ramaphosa addressed troops ahead of their deployment last Friday. He asked the police and soldiers to show restraint when enforcing the COVID 19 rules.
1: This is not a moment for skit and donor.
3: Skit and doner are the Afrikaans words for shoot and beat up. But over the weekend, the security forces were firing rubber bullets at groups of people roaming the streets of central Johannesburg. In some places, fist fights erupted as police pushed residents inside their homes. One of the flashpoints was Alexandra Township. This man says, it's unfair of the government to expect us to be imprisoned in our shacks all day, every day. We haven't got nice homes like the rich people. I tried to leave my place to buy food and the soldiers would not let me through. The state locked the country down just before millions of South Africans got paid or received social grants. So crowds descended on grocery stores. A perfect way to spread the virus, says Community Safety Minister for Gauteng Province, Faith Mazibuko. There's no compliance in relation to social
4: distance, especially at the malls. And those that defy and want to open their taverns, we've got news for them. Uh, is that is the
3: Indeed, for many across Johannesburg, it was fun and not food that was the priority. And they broke the law to party at bars and nightclubs. The police arrested several entertainment venue owners who refused to close their businesses.
1: Where is the owner?
3: At a media briefing, Provincial Police Commissioner General Elias Mawela said some people just didn't seem to understand the gravity of the situation. We have put behind bars 148 people who decided
5: not to obey the regulations and will continue to stamp the
3: authority of the state. <laughs> But some, like the people packing this club in the suburb of Westbury, did not appear afraid of that authority. Party goer Andrew October summarized the fatalism that the COVID-19 epidemic is inspiring among some South Africans. Damn this lockdown, he said, I'm going to get my kicks before I get that China virus. I'm Darren Taylor for VOA News in Johannesburg.
1: Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Butte in Washington. Today is Tuesday, March 31st. Nigeria's two main cities, Abuja and Lagos, are preparing to go on lockdown to help prevent the spread of the coronavirus. The arrival of coronavirus testing kits donated by a Chinese billionaire is expected to give officials a more accurate reading of coronavirus infections in Africa's most populous nation. But there are also concerns on how the public could react to a jump in infection numbers and a lockdown. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja. The lockdown announcement was
6: made during President Muhammadu Buhari's national broadcast, Normal activities in Lagos, Abuja and Ogun, near Lagos, are expected to shut down for 14 days, starting late Monday night. Some of these measures will surely cause visual inconveniences to many citizens. But these are sacrifices we should all be willing and ready to make for the greater good of our country. Hours after the announcement, thousands of citizens stormed shopping malls in Abuja in what appears to be panic buying. Abuja residents like Daniel Yurima say the shutdown is a necessary move to control the coronavirus from spreading.
7: Personally, I think it's long overdue, and uh, I'm not really satisfied with how the government has been handling the whole situation, but with the president eventually coming out to announce a lockdown, I think it's a beautiful decision, and I hope that this decision would help us control the situation on ground. However, he has some concerns. I don't believe many citizens can stay remain indoors for two weeks. It's not possible because the uh, majority of the citizens live below the poverty line even one week it's not possible for for them to remain indoors for one week without any income since new testing kits donated by chinese billionaire jack ma
6: arrived in nigeria last week more testing has been carried out and more cases discovered chingway ochu is for head of prevention programs at ncdc she says the kits are essential to containing the virus.
4: Our objective is to stop transmission, and to do this, we want to have early detection of cases, early reporting, early case investigation, isolation and treatment, early contact tracing, and early social distancing.
6: With more than 100 confirmed cases of the virus in Nigeria so far, authorities are working hard and say they're ready to impose even more drastic measures, if need be, in order to control the spread. Timothy Ubiezu
1: for VOA News, Abuja. People living in Ghana's major cities are waking today to restrictions announced by President Nana Akufo-Addo to control the spread of the coronavirus pandemic. Affected cities in the two-week restriction include the nation's capital, Accra, as well as Tema and Kumasi, identified by authorities as coronavirus hotspots. Authorities say Ghana has so far recorded 150 confirmed cases of the disease, with five deaths so far. V.O.S. Peter Clotis spoke with Lillian Adu, the country director for the United Nations Youth in the capital, Accra.
4: In a nutshell, I would say that Ghanaians have really compromised um, in the decision that the president made for the partial lockdown to be implemented. Um, I mean, um, we were all expecting this, a lot of Ghanaians were calling for this. So when the president came out to announce this, they they all thought that this was a very good initiative. Um, I'll also recommend um, the media, the media has done very well, information has really um, gone down and people are really even um, treating this as as if it was a, a total lockdown. Um, I, I, it, the Ghana is very quiet and very calm, and I, I believe that the military will also come out and ensure that uh, the few ones that might come out and be naughty will be controlled. So far, so good in Ghana.
2: How are the security operatives, including the police and the military, enforcing this restriction?
4: yeah the police and the military um are doing very well um they there a lot of um um soldiers were even dispatched to kumasa yesterday and they have been placed on all the major highways and in, in between um different cities and across across the country and um, so far everything has been calm i have been told from reliable sources that when you step out and you see some of them they ask you where you're going and if it's not too far some of them take it upon themselves to dispatch you to make sure that you're really going to either the pharmacy or you're a medical practitioner going to the hospital and all of that. Um when, even this two hours ago, um it has come to our notice that a team of police has impounded a care truck full of people trying to escape to they and they've they've really stopped them. Yeah, they are doing a good job
6: i understand your organization is also planning to supply some food items to prisons beginning tuesday talk to
7: me about it
4: today tuesday the united nations youth association uh, um, will be an, will start distributing sanitizers liquid soap and food items to a lot of cells Across the country, one of the things that we've been doing uh, is encourage young people to believe in volunteerism and giving back to society. Um, so through these crucial times, we have been talking to people to support us. We're gathering all these items, and collaboration with some of our partners, we will be um, dispatching most of these items through the VIP buses across the country, where regional coordinators and our youth mps will supervise the distribution of these things there are lots of street people who are going through tough times through these crucial times and we want to support them
1: lillian adu is country director of the united nations youth in the ghanaian capital accra she was speaking to viewers peter clotty The prison population in Cameroon, already squeezed into overcrowded and unsanitary spaces, is extremely vulnerable to the risks posed by COVID-19. Ilaria Allegrozi, senior Central African researcher at Human Rights Watch, spoke to Ricky Stryak about the issue.
8: I remember having visited myself um, a couple of prisons in Cameroon um, a couple of years ago, uh, including the prison, the central prison in Yaounde. Um, and I can tell you that the situation is catastrophic. Um, the prison in Yaounde, the central prison, now holds over 5,000 detainees um, while it was built for less than a thousand. So detainees are piled on top of each other. Um, They are squeezed like sardines in very, very small cells. Uh, They have no air, no adequate ventilation. Um, They sleep on the floor. Um, Sometimes they even take turns to sleep because there's not enough space.
9: Are are many of these cases as well, in fact, pre-trial detentions, um, and, and so these prisoners haven't even been to trial yet?
8: Absolutely. The majority of the uh, prisoners are on pre-trial detention, and this is not only in Yaoundé but it's across Cameroon. So that's why it's even more important to take some measures in, all, in order to decongest um, the prisons uh, because of the risk posed by the virus.
9: And what are, in Cameroon, have, you heard, have the authorities responded to any of these concerns from human rights groups?
8: Um, Well, uh, the authorities have taken some measures to address the risk of the virus spreading in prisons. They have limited uh, prison visits. They have asked visitors to wash their hands but uh, you know lawyers and family members of the detainees um, told us that this can't be enough and um, for example they told us that guards are still moving around without any protection Um, and that's why we have urged the authorities to take some extra measure to face the risk of the pandemic spreading in prisons.
9: Pandemics and epidemics often kind of shine a spotlight on underlying mm-hmm. issues um, that a society has already uh, has ignored maybe for too long. And, you know, does this kind of spotlight the fact that the prison system in a lot of these countries where the quote-unquote democracies don't necessarily uh, function the way they are constitutionally laid out too, let's say, um, you know, that spills over <laughs> into the justice
8: system? I mean, this crisis indeed is exacerbating, but there, are, there have been other um, key events which have existed exacerbated also this situation. I mean, like, that the prisons in Cameroon are uh, in a catastrophic situation um, is um, a fact. And this crisis, as well as the mass arrests of people for example those suspected of um supporting the separatists in the anglophone regions uh, or those suspected of uh, collaborating with boko haram have indeed exacerbated the situation because the prisons are overcrowded and you know because uh, medical care is um, almost non-existent because um, hygiene is very poor
1: that was Ilaria Allegrozi, senior Central Africa researcher for Human Rights Watch. She was speaking to Ricky Stryak from London. The Liberian Senate yesterday, Monday, began the confirmation hearing of the new head of the National Elections Commission of Liberia. President George Weir recently nominated Councillor Undubuzi. Mwambu Diki to chair the Elections Commission after only serving months as chair of the Liberia Anti-Corruption Commission. But Mr. Mwambudiki's nomination has drawn mixed reviews. As some say, he is a naturalized Liberian and should not head the nation's Elections Commission. As Moses Garcia will report from Monrovia, there was a dramatic confirmation hearing yesterday, Monday. I hey. Wabudike, chairman designated for the national
5: election. That was considered in Wabudike, being administered oh, just before his public confirmation proceedings began Monday in the joint chambers of the legislature. First, Mr. Wabudike confirmed he was a natural last Liberian and defended why he is best suited to chair the National Elections Commission.
1: Let me submit again that I am a citizen of Liberia the question of my citizenship has been settled in the Supreme Court opinion that admitted me to the Supreme Court bar. I believe that I am competent.
5: Mr. k said he has all it takes as a citizen of Liberia to hold positions after being cleared by the Supreme Court bar of the Republic of Liberia to practice. He also said he would have rejected the position if it were proven that his nomination had violated the constitution of Liberia.
1: I will be person to say to you that I'm not qualified to hold this position if in any way I believe that holding that position will be a violation of any
5: of our laws. But the chair of the Senate Committee on Elections, Milton Thierry, said Mr. Nwabudike's presentation did not include his naturalization papers even after those had been requested. Former Senate pro Tempore Amandjala then called for the
6: proceedings to be suspended. In the absence of proof of citizenship of the witness, our effort at this hearing might be in vain. The fundamental document that should be required is the proof of Citizenship of the witness. I would suggest to the chairman to request that document for tomorrow. When the document is reviewed, the hearing with the chairman designate can
5: continue. I so. After five minutes, Mr. Nwabudike made available what appeared to be a copy of his naturalization papers, but the committee co chair, Henry Yeller, said he was somewhat disappointed.
2: With everything you heard, people challenge your nationality everywhere. You can hear, man, you could not bring copy of your certificate clear as a reliant that you're liberian
5: senator Vani shemo questioned the eligibility of the documents saying there was a contradiction in
2: age now if you were born 1965 and then you say you got a certificate of naturalization in 1982 then you are you know what 17, 17 years old no person shall file a petition for naturalization unless He shall have attained the age of 21 years. There is absolutely no exception.
5: Senator Sherman argued that Mr. Nwabudike holds allegiance to Nigeria based on the proposition in the Nigerian constitution that all born in Nigeria are citizens of that country. Given all this, pundits are asking how then did Mr. Nwabudike got confirmed by the Senate on two different occasions as chair of the Liberia Anti-Corruption Commission and also the Governor's Commission. Moses Gazel, VOA News, Monrovia.
1: That's it for this Tuesday, March 31st edition of Daybreak Africa. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, producer Nicole Beckford, reporters Peter Clotty and Ricky Stryak, as well as post-editor Samson O'Malley, along with all of our engineers. I'm James Butte in Washington, wishing you a very good day
8: of America's flagship global news program, International Edition, brings you an in-depth look at the biggest stories of the day. Nobody covers the world more comprehensively than VOA. We have hundreds of reporters gathering the news and the views of the most seasoned experts on international issues. Tune in Monday through Friday at 17 UTC and 2230 UTC. We're also available online at voanews.com. VOA's Our Voices television program is about more than just sitting and talking about women's issues. It's about listening to them and bringing their opinions
4: to the table and making sure that their voices are heard. Because our lived
8: experiences, our stories, and our voices will help shape the next generation. Check your local TV listings and join the conversation each week with Our Voices on VOA.
1: VOA brings you the best in African music on the African Beat. African Beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music. From Bubu music to hip life, bonga flavor to Suku's, afrobeat to Ndombolo and makosa to Kweto. The African Beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 9.05 and 20.05 UTC, right after the international news.
9: Governor of California are both moving rapidly to expand their health care workforces as the death toll from COVID-19 in New York surged past 1,200, while hospitalizations in California doubled in the last four days. While the federal government warned we could see up to 200 deaths nationwide, Cuomo said his plea is a preview of what other cities across the U.S. could soon face. Uh, is it
10: 100,000? Is it 200,000? Look, does it, whatever the number is, it's going to be staggering. The number is already staggering. Uh, Our human life is a human life. We've lost over 1,000 New Yorkers. To me, we're beyond staggering already. We've reached staggering. Uh, And the only only point now is do everything you can to save every life possible that's what this is all about
9: other states and city officials including in the u.s. capital and neighboring states of virginia and maryland issued stay-at-home orders
0: no maryland resident should be leaving their home unless it is for an essential job or for an essential reason such as obtaining food or medicine, seeking urgent medical attention, or for other necessary purposes.
9: The escalating statistics tied to the spread of coronavirus underscored the health risk for millions of Americans across the country. The top infectious disease expert in the U.S. is warning that the smaller U.S. cities are about to witness the rapid acceleration in coronavirus cases that New York has already documented. Meanwhile, President Trump on Monday said that the U.S. is on par with other countries when it comes to testing. He also said the government is sending out more ventilators.
10: In reserve, we have almost 10,000 ventilators uh, in our line. We have them—we've held back just because we did the stockpile. Uh, We didn't want to give them because we don't know where the emergency—this hits, it hits like so fast it comes
11: so quickly.
9: Countries around the world and here in the U.S. are scrambling to test populations for COVID-19. New York's governor also earlier talked about that.
10: A home test or point of care test that can be brought to volume. I think that's probably when you see a real return to normalcy in the workforce.
9: But as pharmaceutical companies work to develop new and faster methods of testing, they could run into a whole new problem. VOA's Jason Patinkin spoke to Dr. Michael Osterholm, director of the University of Minnesota's Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy, who warns of a looming shortage of reagents, chemicals used in those very tests.
10: TESTS THEMSELVES ARE NOT JUST ONE ITEM. THEY'RE REALLY A COLLECTION OF INGREDIENTS, YOU MIGHT SAY, ALMOST AS IF YOU WERE COOKING. IF YOU'RE TESTING TO SEE IF THE VIRUS IS PRESENT IN A SWAB, TO EXTRACT THAT MATERIAL OUT OF THE SWAB, TO THEN IDENTIFY AND ISOLATE THE GENETIC MATERIAL THAT WOULD TELL YOU THAT THE VIRUS IS THERE, AND THEN TO PRESENT THAT, to whatever kind of detector you're using to say yes or no it is or isn't there so these are all gasoline of the car that you need to have and each test has certain reagents that are really important without them a test is not really a test and the challenge we have is twofold first of all the world is on fire right now in terms of requests for testing it's like if you were a brewer and you had a, a great beer you were selling, you could make 100 cases of it a week, and it all of a sudden got a rave review somewhere, and now you're getting a 1,000 case a week request. you couldn't fill it. You'd have to build new capacity to make that happen. And so that's what's happening here, is is that we just can't make enough reagents. The second thing is, is that China, as a country, has played a key role in some of the uh, reagent manufacturing with them being down as they were for several months in terms of most manufacturing activity it just added to the challenge we have in terms of bringing reagents to the table in the
12: last few days the u.s food and drug administration which approves medicines and medical equipments here in the united states They approved this new 13-minute COVID-19 test, and that's created a lot of excitement. Will that still be possible, given a shortage of reagents?
10: That test, like every other test, is going to be impacted. Each company has proprietary information about just how much reagent they can provide or will have available, we have to always temper announcements about new additional testing capacity with what is the reality of can they actually deliver on it. We hope they can. We want them to. This would be a big, big plus to our response. But at the same time, we have to be
12: realistic. For our listeners in Africa, where the virus is really starting to take hold now, how might this be affecting them?
10: It's going to affect the entire world in, in a similar way. And if you're in a low-income or even a middle-income country right now, it means you're going to have a challenge getting some of these reagents and these test kits. There is no such thing as a national market for things like reagents. It really is a global market. And you have a need to almost want to test everybody in the world multiple times over a course of weeks to months, it's going to be really tough in terms of finding the reagents. If you're going to develop, and you should, of course, develop a control plan for your country, for your region, what are the realistic expectations of what you can have for testing materials? How many can you test? And then tie that together with what your plan's all about.
12: What can be done to either ramp up production of reagents or to use the existing stockpiles in various parts of the world to their maximum effect
10: the really major challenge we have right now is between now and may or june can we ramp up production of these reagents we can do some of that but we've talked to a number of companies really said they had 12 15 million dollars in another six to eight months, I could build another plant that could do that. That's not practical in terms of what we need right now. So part of it is going to be using them wisely, figuring out if we only have a limited amount of reagent material for these tests, how can we best use testing? We have seen a lot of testing that got used initially almost as a a placebo for the population say, oh, don't worry, you can come get your test, just drive through. You know, that was a very poor use of testing. We need to target it. You're going to want to know that healthcare workers, are they infected? If I know I only have X tests in the next two weeks, that helps me plan so I'm using these tests smarter and more effectively to try to control the disease.
9: That's BOA's Jason Patinkin speaking to Dr. Michael Osterholm, director of the University of Minnesota Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy. Nigeria's two main cities, Abuja and Lagos, are preparing to go on lockdown to help prevent the spread of the coronavirus. The arrival of testing kits donated by a Chinese billionaire is expected to give officials a more accurate reading of coronavirus infections in Africa's most populous nation. But there are also concerns on how the public could react to a jump in infection numbers and a lockdown. Timothy Obazo reports from Abuja.
6: The lockdown announcement was made during President Mohammed Buhari's national broadcast. Normal activities in Lagos, Abuja and Ogun near Lagos are expected to shut down for 14 days starting late Monday night. Some of these measures
5: will surely cause major inconveniences to many citizens,
6: but these are sacrifices we should all be willing and ready to make for the greater good of our country. HOURS AFTER THE ANNOUNCEMENT, THOUSANDS OF CITIZENS STORMED SHOPPING MALLS IN ABUJA IN WHAT APPEARS TO BE PANIC BUYING. ABUJA RESIDENTS LIKE DANIEL Yurima SAY THE SHUTDOWN IS A NECESSARY MOVE TO CONTROL THE CORONAVIRUS FROM SPREADING.
7: PERSONALLY, I THINK IT'S LONG OVERDUE. and. Uh... I'm not really satisfied with how the government has been handling the whole situation, but with the president eventually coming out to announce a lockdown, I think it's a beautiful decision, and I hope that this decision would help us control the situation on ground. However, he has some concerns. I don't believe many citizens can stay remaining those for two weeks. It's not possible because the uh, majority of the citizens live below the poverty line. Even one week, it's not possible for for them to remain indoors for one week without any income.
6: Since new testing kits donated by Chinese billionaire Jack Ma arrived in Nigeria last week, more testing has been carried out and more cases discovered. Chingwe Ochu is the head of prevention programs at NCDC. She says the kits are essential to containing the virus.
4: Our objective is to stop transmission, and to do this, we want to have early detection of cases, early reporting, early case investigation, isolation and treatment, early contact tracing, and early social distancing.
6: With more than a hundred confirmed cases of the virus in Nigeria so far. Authorities are working hard and say they are ready to impose even more drastic measures, if need be, in order to control the spread. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja.
9: Here are some of the other stories we are following at VOA News. The Trump administration Monday renewed several waivers on U.S. sanctions against Iran, allowing Russian, European, and Chinese companies to continue to work on Iran's civilian nuclear facilities without drawing American penalties. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo signed off on the waiver extensions, but couched the decision as one that continues restrictions on Iran's atomic work. Florida officials have arrested the pastor of a megachurch after detectives say he held two Sunday churches with hundreds of people and violated a safer at home order to limit the spread of coronavirus. The county and governor's orders require gatherings to be fewer than 10 people to limit the spread of COVID-19. A live stream of Sunday's three and a half hour church service showed scores of congregants. A painting by Dutch master Vincent van Gogh was stolen in an overnight smash-and-grab raid Sunday on a museum that was closed to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. The Singer-Lorraine Museum east of Amsterdam said that the Parsonage Garden at Nuenen in spring 1884 by the Dutch master was taken in the early morning hours on Monday. Stay with VOA for all the latest on the coronavirus pandemic and much more. With the Italian death toll from coronavirus passing 10,000, the country's crematoria, especially in the northern region of Lombardy, are overwhelmed and are having to transport bodies to crematoria and other regions. As Sabina Castelfranco reports from Rome, more families of coronavirus victims are choosing cremation over burial for fear of catching the virus from the dead. The
13: number of corpses arriving at crematoria in the north of Italy has doubled since the coronavirus outbreak began, and the plants in the north of Italy are overwhelmed, even those that work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Altair is Italy's leading company in crematoria, with 17 plants mainly in the north of Italy. Michele Barinelli, spokesman for Altair, said this emergency situation has caused a level of saturation in the plants that has never been seen before. Marinelli said cremation takes place for all the corpses for which the dead person or his relatives have requested it. The problem now is, he added, that in some areas of the north of the country, Cremations have exceeded 50 to 60 percent. That is, for every 100 deaths, 50 to 60 cremations are requested. Marinelli said in areas like Bergamo and Brescia, where the number of dead has been particularly high, army trucks had to be called in to assist to take the corpses to other regions where they could be cremated. Relatives of those killed by COVID-19 are also unable to grieve for their loved ones as they would like to. In addition to the death of someone in the family, which is in itself dramatic, Marinelli noted that there is also the impossibility of being able to bid farewell to them by holding a funeral. He said this is a situation that Italy has never experienced. Since the outbreak of coronavirus in Italy, the government has put a stop to funerals and religious ceremonies in an effort to stop the spread of the virus. There is no ban on burials, but many families choose cremation instead due to the slim but not impossible chance that the virus from the dead body could still infect the living. Even families who choose burial are faced with a difficult situation. Italy's cemeteries are as overwhelmed as the cremation centres, with the backlog of bodies to be buried growing by the day. Sabina Castelfranco for VOA News, Rome.
9: United Arab Emirates Crown Prince Mohammed bin Sayyad spoke with Syrian President Bashar al-Assad by phone over the weekend to express solidarity over the ongoing coronavirus crisis. Some analysts are saying the call may also signify support from the UAE for reintegrating Damascus into the Arab League, from which it was expelled in 2011. Edward Uranian reports for VOA from Cairo.
8: The
12: UAE's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed took a fresh step over the weekend to improve ties with Damascus in a phone call to discuss possible humanitarian aid for the Syrian government in the face of the increasingly dire coronavirus crisis. The Crown Prince wrote in a tweet that he had assured President Bashar al-Assad of the support of the UAE and its willingness to help the Syrian people. Humanitarian solidarity during trying times, he added, supersedes all matters, and Syria and her people will not stand alone. The UAE's Minister of State, Zaki Anwar Nosiba, told Arab media that the call was purely humanitarian in nature. He says that Sheikh Mohammed is looking beyond narrow political considerations in light of this exceptional crisis in order to help humanity as a whole, since we are all one family and must cooperate with each other. A Syrian opposition TV station, however, claimed the call was politically based given the UAE's interest in playing a role in rebuilding Syria and its concern over Turkey's growing role in the country. Former Iranian President Abul Hassan Bani Sadr tells VOA he thinks the UAE has been trying to distance itself from Saudi Arabia in recent months as well, changing its policy in Iran, Yemen, and Syria. He says that the UAE has been quietly changing policy in the region, making overtures to both Iran and Syria, in addition to distancing itself from the Saudi-led war effort in Yemen. The UAE, he adds, does not have the same interests as Saudi Arabia and is revamping its strategies. The UAE reopened its embassy in Syria in 2018, but the weekend call by Zayed to al-Assad was the first of its kind since ties were originally cut in 2011. Some Arab analysts say Abu Dhabi is also supporting a quiet effort by Iraq and Lebanon to allow Syria to retake its seat at the next Arab League summit due to be held in Algeria. Theodore Karasik, a Washington-based Gulf analyst, tells VOA that the UAE has been working on how to best bring Assad and Syria back into the Arab fold, especially when it comes to reconstruction. He says that the big problems in Syria are refugees and health maintenance, and Damascus is now apparently receptive in terms of humanitarian aid and medical monitoring, given the coronavirus crisis. Paul Sullivan, who is a professor at the U.S. National Defense University, tells VOA that the UAE has been a huge contributor of aid to Arab and other countries for decades. He argues that their leadership has a difficult relationship with Assad, but they see that the COVID-19 situation could be a complete catastrophe in Syria and that it could affect the entire region and beyond. Edward Uranian for VOA News, Cairo.
9: The 2020 Olympics in Tokyo will now kick off on July 23rd, 2021, one year later than the original July 24th, 2020 start date, which was postponed due to the pandemic. President of the International Olympic Committee, Thomas Bach, said Monday that the new dates were chosen to safeguard all those involved with the Games while mitigating the spread of the virus and also taking into consideration the global sports calendar which has already been upended.
11: We are uh, all humankind. We are in a very dark tunnel at uh, this uh, moment in uh, time. And uh, we do not know how long this uh, tunnel uh, will be. But uh, we are confident uh, that uh, with uh, these uh, Olympic Games, uh, at this uh, new date, uh, then uh, we can be a light at the end of uh, this uh, dark uh, tunnel and uh, we can uh, therefore uh, give hope uh, to the athletes of uh, the world, but also to the, to the wider public that there uh, is uh, something uh, happening there uh, next year which can unite uh, the world, and as Prime Minister Abe said, unite the world, then hopefully in a celebration of humanity uh, for a victory against uh, this virus.
9: Bach said there is no blueprint to follow as the IOC and Tokyo 2020 organizers work with International Federation's venues and sponsors, to name a few, as they reshape the games to be held a year later than initially planned. The delay is the first in the 124-year history of the modern Olympics, and was also a huge blow for Japan, which invested $13 billion in the run-up to the event. You're listening to International Edition. We'll be right back.
14: Hello, this is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? new releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on music time in africa so join me on your local fm station saturdays and sundays at 1500 and 2000 utc
0: border crossings
6: join host larry london larry london on border crossings voa's only worldwide music request hour every weekday at 1500 universal Tune in for the biggest hits and amazing artists, win prizes, and get the latest news from exclusive celebrity interviews. Ooh. Send your requests to Facebook at VOA Larry London, Twitter at Border Crossings, or Instagram at Border Crossings VOA. Or call 202 619 2077 and have your favorite music played to the entire world. Ah. Don't miss Border Crossings every weekday at 1500 Universal, only on The Voice
9: of America. VOA's International Edition continues. Elmo, Rooster, and Cookie Monster are doing their part to help keep kids safe as the coronavirus pandemic grinds on. The beloved Sesame Street Muppets are featured in some of four new animated public service spots, reminding young fans to take care while doing such things as washing their hands and sneezing. One of Elmo's signature songs, the toothbrush classic, Brushy Brush, has been updated to Washy Wash. wash, wash. Wash the The new online videos were launched last week as part of Sesame Workshop's Caring for Each Other initiative to help families stay physically and mentally healthy during the crisis. The family of iconic American singer John Prine says the singer-songwriter is critically ill and on a ventilator while being treated for COVID-19 symptoms. A message posted on Prine's Twitter page Sunday said the angel from Montgomery singer has been hospitalized since last Thursday and his condition worsened over the weekend. Prine's wife and manager Fiona Whalen-Prine earlier this month said that she had tested positive for the coronavirus. She said the couple were being quarantined and isolated from each other. can always find us at BOANews.com. We thank you so much for listening. On behalf of our producer, Jackson Munganye, I'm Lori London in Washington. Please take care and be well.
5: For in-depth news and analysis on events in South Sudan, tune in to South Sudan in Focus Monday through Friday from 1630 to 1700 UTC. We are also on the web at www.voanews.com forward slash South Sudan or download our podcast on iTunes. That's South Sudan in Focus on VOA Africa.
4: Voice of America's news, talk, and music programs are now at the tip of your fingers. Find everything at www.voaafrica.com. Listen to VOA's program lineup live anytime, day or night. Pick out your favorite shows and listen anytime you want. Download our podcast. Check VOA Mobile from your cell phone. Subscribe to VOA News feed, VOAnews.com.
0: This is VOA News via remote. I'm Tommy McNeil. Spain has become the third country to surpass China in the number of cases of coronavirus behind the United States and Italy. More than 6,000 new cases were confirmed Monday with 812 deaths. Spanish authorities put the country on lockdown two weeks ago to try to stop the rapid spread of the virus. The tactic has been used by governments all over the world, including new restrictions Monday in Moscow.